Oh, I also I wanted to before I let you start the show, I wanted to issue a complaint, uh, which is I cut my thumb yesterday on the foil of a bottle of wine, uh, and it still hurts. <laughs> and uh, I ate oh. some. See, that's why. If you're really cool, that's why you drink Romanian wine because they do still do wax caps. Uh, I had a Croatian wine last night, which was really nice. Uh, it's uh, not the orange stuff, is it? No, I find that's no. overrated. So, on the basis of you cutting your thumb yesterday, Riley, does that mean you want a refund of your Patreon subscription? I assume that's what that means. Uh, well, no, it's more like <laughs> I just want special treatment because I ate some chips for lunch. I, I had more than just chips for lunch, uh, or crisps, as you would call them. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I had like a there's there's a really annoyingly named sandwich shop that's like really really good, but it's got a stupid name uh, called Dom's <laughs> Subs. And uh, yeah, <laughs> Milo just walked into the studio and is uh, cackling. Yeah, he says he knows the place. It's like it's really it's it's psycho good. Like it's amazing sandwiches. But every time I have to go, Ugh, Dom Subs, fuck off. <laughs> anyway, I got a sandwich and a diet coke, and I went and I got a bag of crisps or chips or I call them chips, you call them crisps. Um, and then I reached in <laughs> and I grabbed a handful of those as a compliment to the sandwich. Uh, but the cut that I received on my finger, my thumb actually, from the uh, foil, ah, you got the salt in the. I got the salt in the cut. I mean, I, look, the wine was amazing. It was like a, 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 a Medoc from about seven years ago. Loved it. Uh, but uh, the, the That does sound quite good. The salt from the cut in my thumb uh, ended up hurting a great deal. And so uh, <laughs> I want to get special treatment today. We will, we will not give you an apology because that implies that we're going to take ownership of the issue, but you will get special treatment. <laughs> Okay. Are we just gonna have? Are we just gonna have the Robert Riley Fancy Boy Power Hour tonight? <laughs> we could just have like we could talk about fancy food until we drive everybody insane. Oh yeah, I will not allow that to happen. <laughs> I had a crazy I lunch. I had the craziest lunch yesterday. <laughs> it was fucking psycho. Was it as good as I know, the seafood I saw your plates? I'm, I quite frankly, I'm not a fan of that plate style. If it if it's all up to me, but yeah, you know, the food did look good. No, it was it was really good. Uh, what what's what's your preferred plating style? Uh, a big uh, a big pile. I, I I like I like the food to be uh, on the plate. Uh, but you can go so much further with it. Uh, well, that's news to me. Yes. Uh, if you have, if anyone on this call has a favorite plating style, I would like to know the plating style, please. <laughs> I, I just I just throw it on the floor and eat it like an animal. Yeah, I've ne- <laughs> genuinely never heard the phrase plating style before today. <laughs> well, this look, this is this is every day is a school day, am I right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I used to do like more pus. I used to do like more crafted, like small plate style, like really refined. But I th- I've returned more to like having <laughs> sharing bowls uh-huh. and plates with like st- piled high, more natural. It feels better. To me. It's like truly, a- truly, <laughs> Rob. Me and Jamie have lived such clearly different lives to you. <laughs> <laughs> See, the thing is, I feel like um, like, like Milo always points out that I'm like. These like every single uh, store just sees me coming, <laughs> just <laughs> and is is just like like oh yes this uh, is a special uh, way of eating that's uh, getting very popular in the Michelin Guide now. Uh, yeah, it's from the bin and it's a hundred pounds <laughs> and you just take what you want from the bin. And it's said to really connect you with the idea of uh, the, both the chef's sort of childhood and his dr- some chef's table bullshit. 
And I'm just like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah cool. And I just lap it up like a tr- <laughs> It's the same thing with camping gear. I just walk into a, sh- a shop and they'll be like, do you want this uh, Do you want this uh, heavy tent? It weighs five kilograms and is hard to pack up. Or do you want <laughs> this? Course, like, Who the fuck yeah. buys a five kilo tent? I'm sorry, but that's not on. Yeah. Like, You need to have at least under two and a half. Yeah, so, well, then, uh, then they're like, or this tent is 500 grams and you know, <laughs> it, it'll rip if you get a twig. They use it yeah. on the space shuttle. Yeah, yeah, it's about as useful as an F-35 in terms of, like, weather resistance. Uh, and it costs about as much, too. You want this, you piece of shit? And I'm like, I do! It sounds like they're selling a fucking wrap of cling film to you, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, an like, cling film, though. Yeah, well, absolutely. <laughs> uh, this is... This is that's just the thing, right? You know, I'm um, I'm very easy. I, I just I think that as as someone whose like sort of job is you know sort of seeing seeing through marketing of like productive activities, I'm a massive sucker for the marketing of like consumer goods. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in your spare time, you just want to run around and clap like a seal. Yeah. It's just easier. Exactly. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You're the patrons listening to this special bonus episode. And, you <laughs> know, um, it's it's the usual crew. James couldn't make it. James is unfortunately psychically injured because they tried to conceive of the mind of Dan Hodges. So, you know, rip to them. Yeah, Dan Hodges is actually a psyker. Dan Hodges is a psyker. Uh, <laughs> yes. But yes. He, every time he posts, he rolls perils of the warp. <laughs> is he sanctioned or unsanctioned? <laughs> uh, he's uh, he's definitely a, a sanctioned psyker. He's like, he, he, any time they try to put him on a black ship, it just gets too stupid and crashes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and yeah, as you can tell, we've got Riley on from Trash Future and the Botman Podcast. Hello, you, Riley. Hi. Uh, it's great to be here on the first premium episode. Uh, mm. I'm very, very excited to uh, talk about all of the uh, various uh, d- tidbits, uh, nuggets. Uh, plating the, the, styles. Th- yeah, with the plating. St- I'm going to be bringing up plating styles throughout. Yes, uh, I think you'll great. probably have quite a few actual opportunities for that. <laughs> um, so, uh, Rob, you have done another brain-breaking um, bit of research I, yeah, for this topic. Yeah. Um, but before we get into the main topic, we do have one little um, fun news nugget to get started, which I'm sure we'll all love. Yeah, just as a warm up, because it's kind of like I don't know. I, I I mentioned it to you earlier, David. I just I'm I am in so many ways becoming the Joker. Um, and then this particular one is um, it's good news for I think the climate. The second ever sh- uh, shipment of crude oil has been declared carbon neutral, and it's now uh, for sale. So we now have carbon neutral fossil fuels. Everybody, oh good, congratulations! Thank goodness. Oh, I was worried. Yeah. Yes, I was worried that at some point, you know, we would. We wouldn't invent a way to make oil car. Now, I'm assuming that this has been made carbon neutral in some, you know, meaningful way through the application of a scientific process and not just, you know, marketing, right? 
I assume that uh, the way they've done it is just by drawing the boundaries of the term carbon neutral to be as large as uh, no. to go as far back in time as when all the dinosaurs got turned into oil. What what they did was they worked out like this this oil would release so many like thousand tons of carbon in the atmosphere, and then they worked out like the <laughs> average person's carbon footprint, and then killed that many children. <laughs> 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 yeah, in in a in a way, actually, the Saudi Air Force is uh, one of the um, most green. <laughs> yeah, especially once you get this carbon neutral oil into them. <laughs> this is a the certificates were uh, were from a company called the Intertech Group, uh, written tech written T E K. That's how you, the K means trustworthy. As in mm-hmm. William Shatner's Tech War. <laughs> yes. Is this is it, are these the same these are the same people that created that fucking tank called the kinetic with two Qs in it? No, no, no. That's <laughs> No, no. You that's you guys you guys are getting it all wrong. This is the people who made Mech Warrior. Jesus. Like <laughs> <laughs> I mean I didn't know that uh, they were they were getting into like I don't know what like, making like a carbon neutral version of Mad Cat, but cool. Yeah. I mean, they were also responsible for the, for the first shipment of uh, crude oil that was also certified. And their other clients are giant supermarket change, ConocoPhillips, another giant uh, oil company, and Unilever. So they're, they're good clients. But the sting, as always, with these things is in the tail. Uh, this is from Reuters. Uh, the oil will be counted as carbon neutral for exploration, development, and scope one and two emissions, which is essentially the emissions you need to get the stuff out of the ground. But the major emissions caused by the oil's final use, i.e. the burning of it, or scope three emissions, are not included in the certificate. Ah, oh, yeah, got us in the end. Yeah, so is this, I assume this is like from, oh, North Sea, so yeah, it's it's from an oil rig. I don't know if you guys yeah, have ever it's, seen uh, Norwegian oil. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have ever seen an oil rig, but there is a big fuck off pipe at one end that they just use to burn off loads of the um, natural gas that that won't be transported. And I wonder if they have included that in the uh, emissions because turns out they burn a lot of that shit. Well, not because <laughs> gas isn't oil. Well, the story did say that any residual emissions not fully covered by this very good certificate would be picked up with tree planting, so don't worry about it. Okay, great. And I assume if you burn all the oil but keep planting a lot of trees, then it'll all just cancel itself out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Don't worry about it. It's fine. This actually really reminds me of something that happens in Canada quite a bit, which is that, like, uh, especially uh, Newfoundland and Labrador and Alberta... And in fact, the, the national government as well have been pushing this idea called ethical oil for a long time, <laughs> which is basically that like, well, Canada is a sort of, you know, uh, liberal human rights respecting country, asterisk, million asterisks. Uh, and so <laughs> please ignore the big barrel grounds yeah. of children. <laughs> yes, please ignore those. Uh, and by buying oil from can- by buying Canadian oil, this is basically marketing to the United States, which is the biggest cu- customer of Canadian oil. But by getting Canadian oil, you are like doing <laughs> harm reduction, basically, because you're not <laughs> buying it from like the Saudis or like from Iran or whatever. And, and, like and, and this is uh, our version of like um, Breitbart uh, Rebel Media. The guy in charge of it, he wrote a book in 2010 about like uh, ethic about ethical oil, and it's this <laughs> idea that refuses to go away. And like even now, right, we have this like Newfoundland and Labrador is doing like a 90s style privatization neoliberalism austerity plan. They got the lady who privatized oh, Royal Mail good. in to yeah. come and do Newfoundland and Labrador. Oh, good. 
Yeah. Oh, that's great. Who yeah. is actually oh, from? I mean, well, at least pr- professional advice. Yeah. That's good. Who is actually from Newfoundland? Oh so that's my another, god. Uh, that's... Newfoundland and Labrador, rather. So that's another gift to the UK <laughs> from Canada. It's coming. So you're home. telling me that it's someone walked into home. the Royal Mail offices <laughs> and proposed privatization in a Newfoundland accent? Because that's deeply funny to me. I <laughs> 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 gotta privatize it by. Um, so well, you got, basically, I mean, if if there's one thing we've learned about uh, ministers in this country is that they are bewildered by anyone who sounds a bit funny. So I'm sure they did just walk straight in and go uh, <laughs> in some exotic accent uh, oh. of Newfoundland. I was really hoping to hear the PIP oh. Newfoundland Labrador accent. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, but the Newfoundland and Labrador is now doing this thing where they're like, we're going to fund our green energy transition and, you know, look and, and with, with, ethical, with oil. ethical oil. Yeah. And by the way, we're going to yeah. turn Labrador into an open pit mine. It's nice that they're going to twin um, Labrador with um, Alberta. That's quite nice of them, though. That's... <laughs> So, yeah, but it's, I guess what, what I'm sort of driving at, right, is that like, you see these like rebrands of oil coming thick and fast at this point, and it's just so fucking paltry. Where it's like, no, well, we're still going to you know, release all the carbon into the app. We couldn't possibly do something that wasn't that. Um, so what we are going to do, however, is uh, try and allay your concerns about it. And once your concerns are allayed, we'll, of course, go back to... Doing, doing whatever the yeah. fuck we want to do. Yeah, exactly. Doing the yeah. burning of well, the yeah, oil. Yeah, but the easiest way to allay concerns about climate catastrophes is just stick a big um, maple leaf on barrels of oil. You know, that, that, that disarms mm-hmm. me. That always makes me feel better. Yeah. I mean, I genuinely, years ago, when I was living in Canada, I flew I, I flew with a light plane over tar sands, like a big tar sands field. <laughs> and I think that's the closest <laughs> thing I've ever seen to hell. Yeah, like, uh, 100%. That was one of those things I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, and on, on the beautiful, quite beautiful mm. landscape of Canada as well. It's a blight, but yeah. uh, it's ethical, I guess, just like this, uh, you know, um, Norwegian oh. uh, operator. Well, that's good. Yeah, because it's uh, apparently it's it's fine because the, the oil platform itself is powered by uh, hydro energy. So we're using hydro <laughs> to power an oil platform. And of course, oh. that hydro energy couldn't possibly be used to power anything else. You got to get oil to power yeah, the like other Bitcoin, stuff. Yeah, like Bitcoin, something oh, yeah. useful. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's great. I, I love it, uh, the uh, energy economics. It's really, yeah, it really not depressing. Rob, would you like to take us on to something much more positive and less depressing? Yeah, so welcome for our first Patreon-exclusive episode. I thought I'd introduce you to somebody you've probably never heard of before, but he is absolutely at the heart of what I think we can call the British establishment. He's got a large estate on an island. He likes to hang out with billionaires. He possibly dabbles in finance crime, and he's a good friend of Prince Andrew. So those are good criteria to start. (laughs) But it's not that guy. It's somebody else. It's he's called David Rowland, nicknamed Spotty, and he is Prince Andrew's other friend, and that's who we'll be talking about uh, today. So apart from the fact that this guy has led a, a vile but very interesting life, uh, I think it's worthwhile to talk about him because I think it tells us a lot about how the UK establishment actually functions in daily practice and what it does. <laughs> it feels like being friends with uh, Prince Andrew is just a fucking kiss of death, <laughs> like for real. It's yeah. I mean, he's got a whole whole host of people that are very interesting that that will come up uh, uh, during this man's life story. Uh, but essentially, I'll give you a quick spoiler. 
the UK establishment as it exists today, certainly the financial establishment doesn't exist to build anything up, create anything or do any form of remote good. It is essentially about being a totally a moral vampire with the right names and phone <laughs> numbers in your possibly black address book. Uh, so let me tell you a bit yes. more about David Spotty Rowland. <laughs> the most important thing I want to uh, set off at the outset is I want to give big credits to Harry Wilson and Gavin Finch over at Bloomberg. They did an initial story that I read and much like the tanks thing, I went on a deep dive. After <laughs> like, the, a, like a truffle <laughs> pig after the most cursed truffle you could ever think of. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I want to say up front uh, that David Rowland is a good guy because he del- he also has uh, epigenetic memories of being working class. Uh, <laughs> he's the son he's the son of a scrap metal merchant which we, which means that he is forever and after uh, working class. Yeah, it's 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 like class was determined by what your closest yeah, relative and, in the and 70s scrap metal was did merchant isn't that far off yes. being a binman, if you will. So, remember when the scra- remember when the scrap metal was art? Class di- <laughs> class distinctions were drawn up at the same time that council tax banning for housing in the UK was drawn up. Yes. So that's how we can that's how we can know. <laughs> well, let's start talking about uh, housing then, because uh, David Rowland leaves school at sixteen. In nineteen sixty three, he buys his first house at the age of eighteen. Uh, he sells it, he flips it, he buys another house, um, and then as, over time he becomes a very big landlord uh, through his company Fordham. Uh, the Fordham <laughs> oh, group. I like him already. already um, yeah, but I mean, he must yeah. have worked very hard to assemble the like ten pounds <laughs> it would have taken to buy a house in 1963. Oh, in, in 1963, it was the number of pounds that your age was. So for him, presumably, eighteen pounds. <laughs> Ooh, big spender. Yeah. It must, must have been one of those Barclay Square townhouses. <laughs> yeah, so by the age of 23, he is already uh, a millionaire. I couldn't find much in the in- intervening years. He's just building up his business. But in 1987, he is the money behind the £8,000 takeover of Edinburgh Hibernian Football Club. Buy a uh, football which club for £8,000? Oh, I think that's... 800,000. 800,000. The club eventually, after a couple of years, goes bankrupt, but not before uh, the ownership and the management, including uh, David Rowland, asked the fans to put thousands and thousands of pounds into the club to save it. Yeah, I was going to say, did he do that thing where he just, uh, you know, got a load of debt, stuck it on the football club's bill, and then, you know, asked uh, ask the fans for the... money and then fucked off? Because that's, that's what we're doing loads of these days. So... Mm-hmm. Well, he he will do that later, but not in this specific case. I don't know, and I can't speak to whether or not he did or not. So he is simply mismanaging a football club. Mm-hmm. Yes, simply mismanaging it. <laughs> simple, the um, simple, honest mismanagement. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I should say I should say he manages, but it's uh, a bit more complicated than that because his UK interests for a very long time were controlled, and some of them still are through a series of co- interlinked companies based in the Bahamas and Panama. Uh, which were later moved into an increasingly series, complex series of family trusts based on Guernsey, the island of Guernsey, a major tax haven, uh, where he also owns the biggest estate on the island called Haviland. Okay, well, first of all, right, uh, you're suggesting that having a complex web of shell companies and tax havens is somehow bad. Uh, but actually, no, not at all. what that really is doing is that's just like CrossFit for your money. You're doing uh, muscle confusion. <laughs> uh, you're not letting it. Re- you're 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 sort of you're training different parts of your balance sheet uh, in, in order to ultimately get a lot of more uh, functional strength. And I think it just shows that you don't really understand uh, fitness. 
<laughs> no, I, I do not. I do not. I am sitting here in my big j- tub of jelly. Um, that is how I do podcasting. Anyway, um, the first biggest story that he gets into that I wanted to explore in a little bit of depth is in the 1980s, he buys the Bunker Hill and Smelting Complex, which is in Idaho, if I remember, or Ohio, one of the two, which is a deeply troubled former mine and metal smelter, which has, which mostly has ceased to function but has a big wallet full of money and a huge amount of outstanding environmental and social liabilities. The Bunker Hills mine and smelting complex uh, emitted tons of lead in local communities. And in the 1970s, some of the children there had the highest lead levels ever recorded in children. Is that ever recorded in the US or recorded like across the world? Because I dare say that Britain probably... In in, in the US, but given the US's industrial history, I mean, they might have rivaled the Soviet Union, fuck knows, but... uh, uh, yeah, the, the, there were very severe cancer clusters in children, uh, a lot of medical stuff that I w- don't want to get into because it's just too horrible to discuss. Um, so by the time uh, he buys it, the mine and the smelter are actually closed, but uh, there was still $170 million US dollar in bank and pension assets. Those were mainly to be used to cover the pensions and uh, a big bill uh, where money was pledged to clean up the environmental and health damage that the plant had caused over many years with the local communities. So free Uh, money. And I dare say all that money was used on that, yeah? Yeah, of course. Um, um, Of course, first, what he tries, which is what everybody does who who takes over an an old industrial plant, is he tried to take the former company uh, registration over to Bermuda. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unfortunately, that fails uh, because the US government says, no, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so when that fails, the the company he took over, the the parent company called Gulf Resources, uh, un, under the management of David Rowland and a series of other directors, starts making extremely risky financial bets and buying a series of money losing ventures originally owned by uh, Mr. Rowland and his children. Um, these include uh, loss making real estate operations in New Zealand and a bunch of other things. Allegedly, he also bought a yacht in Monaco with company money and expenses most of his existing lifestyle also with the on the company. company I've got to say, like when when it's like, oh yeah, he spent a bunch of money on like real estate ventures. It's like that's how you managed to fuck up being a landlord. Mm. It happens more often than you think. (laughs) Not often (laughs) enough, though. Fuck. <laughs> I mean, whether or not those companies really lost losing money themselves, I can't work out. But the most important thing is he bought a lot of other companies with the 170 million in the bank uh, that was pledged against the uh, pension and environmental liabilities. Weirdly now, five years after David Rowland buys Gulf Resource, the company declares bankruptcy and all the money for the cleanup and the pensions is gone. Poof. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know. Nobody knows where that went. <laughs> Pay no attention to the burlap sacks. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I just uh, I, look. This I I found this yacht. All right, it was just <laughs> by, the, by, the, by the railway. Yeah, I found yeah. and fixed I up this yacht. I just happened to be in international waters, and there was a yacht just there. <laughs> um, the U.S. government subsequently, the uh, environmental agency subsequently sues Gulf Resources because they now don't have the money to pay for the cleanup. Um, but the U.S. government only manages to recover 18 million of the original 170. So well done. This means that the local pensioners of the Bunker Hill plant took very steep hits to their pensions, lost their lifetime health coverage, and U.S. taxpayers in general end up paying 
tens of millions to super mm-hmm. fund to clean up the site. So that's, you know, there's just the 1980s. Yeah. So well, the, that's the price you pay for uh, for having, sort of making sure that like the smartest, most innovative people end up, uh, you know, controlling where uh, the uh, productive uh, right. forces of society are directed, right? I mean, this is all yeah. this is all just part of efficient asset allocation. Yeah, I mean, which, by the way, is uh, to my uh, account in the Bahamas, uh, where I will use it to efficiently uh, purchase myself uh, a, a yacht with a helicopter pad <laughs> and many, many yeah. bottles of San Pellegrino. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can Finally, buy you San Pellegrino in like a Sainsbury's. <laughs> like it's not that fancy. <laughs> well, the way uh, you got on about it, Riley. <laughs> In the in the 1990s, so after the Bunker Hill thing, he starts uh, his own family office, which is essentially a, a structure so you can do investments mm-hmm. on a huge scale, but without attracting too much regulatory attention. And in this time, he also starts what is, according to Bloomberg, a sort of shadow banking operation where he is available if you want to loan, borrow money from him. You mm-hmm. can absolutely do that. I've got to be honest, I find it very hard to separate the concept of shadow banking from shadow boxing mm-hmm. it's so i mean like the thing is right like most of a lot of the, the the sort of what was keeping the american um travel industry afloat was operations like this so you know if you're uh, i don't know like uh, carnival cruises for example a lot of the money that you're borrowing is actually coming from private equity funds family offices things like this that are charging you know ludicrous interest rates uh, it's it. There's a whole sort of we- there's a whole sort of universe of like sort of exotic one-off credit products that are created by these um by by these organizations. It's it, it yeah they, they 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 the interest they charge is enormous and the collateral they can demand is you know like it, like enti- the entire you know carnival uh, line of of ships. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, there's a really good odd lots about. It. In uh, in the case of the David Rowland family office, the interest rate, according to Bloomberg, could be up to ten percent. Jesus, and the collateral could be two to three times worth the loan. But the people who borrow from him are people, relatively speaking. Uh, I mean, I, I'm guessing this. I don't know this, but are usually in the higher levels of society who cannot be seen to take out real loans because those would record get recorded on the books and then questions might be asked. Mm. <laughs> oh, but, or also it's just like if something is too risky for a bank to issue you the, the credit product, if it's too risky or too niche, that's another like big, big reason that like family offices or private equity or the... Uh, by equity fund, private equity funds, excuse me, or whatever, would go ahead and uh, you know give you uh like some kind of a you know junk bond level uh, uh loan, right? It's it's for which has yeah. historically never caused problems in nope, the past. Nope, nope. But it's always it's by, always fine. By way of by way of total coincidence, I don't know quite when they meet, but this is where I want to bring Prince Andrew into the story because what we do know is that they are definitely friends since two thousand five. I don't know how they met, but one of the first recorded encounters is when Prince Andrew goes to uh, David Rowland's estate on Guernsey, which is called Haviland. Again, that's a large private estate on the island. Um, And he is there on hand to unveil a statue of David Rowland himself, sitting in a chair smoking a cigar. The statue is larger than the man himself in real life. David Rowland's quite a tiny guy. (laughs) Uh, I, lo- I love I love to recreate the uh, that scene in Hot Fuzz where the guy is uh, putting the same facial expression as the picture behind him. <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, this is, by the way, not the only time that he goes to uh, the Havilland estate. Uh, he's, Andrew, Prince Andrew stays there multiple times. And instead of staying at the official state residence on Gurney, Guernsey, when people ask, like, why are you staying with this guy instead of the official residence? Uh, Prince Andrew's response on at least one of these visits was it was going to be a late night. So this is somewhere that so they definitely meet each other. The statues are built in 2005. The next thing um, is in 2009 when through his family office and a series of trusts, mainly uh, the, the investment fund Blackfish Capital, which is why do they always the have evil names? What the fuck is <laughs> up with that? <laughs> Um, I don't know why, but he, uh, uh, the name is, but Blackfish Capital, controlled by David Rowland, buys the Luxembourg branch of Kaupting Bank, the Icelandic bank that fell over in the financial crash. Kaupting falls over with massive debts, and like all bank uh, defaults, there's a good bank and a bad bank. The good bank is um, Bank Luxembourg, and that one is bought off, is bought with all its future liabilities scrubbed by David Rowland through Blackfish Capital. Um, it was quite cheap uh, on the market. The best buyer before David Rowland and his sons turned up was the Libyan uh, Sovereign Wealth Fund. This is when Gaddafi is still in charge. So, you know, that's sort of the level we're at. <laughs> uh, so it's sold actually for not that much money. Uh, it only costs, I've seen various estimates, but it's between 43 and 60 million pounds to buy a bank with 1.3 billion worth of assets and also a 1.3 billion legacy bad bank. So, you know, it's not a bad deal. You, you pay 43 million pounds and you get a Luxembourg based uh, bank in, you know, in your pocket. Mm -hmm. Not a bad deal. <laughs> yeah, that's m more yachts. Yeah, more yachts. I mean, the, the the weird thing that I found is that you would think that once um, you know you take over a bank from the failed Icelandic bank Kaupting, that you would you know maybe clean house and ask some of the managers to you know what have you been doing and or pack your bags, but they but that doesn't happen. The staff and directors all stay in place, even though many of them were either implicated or directly connected with the collapse of the main Kaupting bank. In, I was going to um, say uh, Iceland's one of the few places where they actually fucking prosecuted and jailed yeah bankers yeah. wasn't it mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> and i'm quite disappointed wow. in this okay. that roland's got it and it wasn't gaddafi because can you imagine how many tents in the desert that that would have funded for photo shoots <laughs> <laughs> oh don't worry this is not the last uh, we will see of colonel gaddafi in this particular story um he'll be back <laughs> that's just, that's a um, sentence you want to fucking hear yeah. isn't it oh yeah <laughs> The, the the main thing I want to note about as we go on with Kaupting Bank Luxembourg, which is rebranded to Bank Haviland, or should I say Bank Haviland, B-A-N-Q-U-E. So that means, you know, it's trustworthy. It's a fancy bank, yeah. It's a fancy bank. And it's a specifically, it's a private wealth management bank. So this is not for mere mortals like us what on the was, podcast, except maybe Riley. What um, was their uh, preferred plating style? <laughs> 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 oh, they're definitely going like classic European in there, like in the Georges Sank. Yeah, yeah, probably. Probably, I mean, overdone as yeah. Georges. Oh, there, that's, it's going to be. It's going to be so much edible gold leaf on there. Yeah, yeah. Mmm, <laughs> tasteless. <laughs> So private wealth management banks are essentially banks for very wealthy people who not only manage your account, give you a credit card, but they can also put you in touch with people and make deals. Uh, this is kind of the, the important bit. Ominous. Now, at, 
At the same time, he buys this bank, and also by some measure of coincidence, Prince Andrew requests a formal briefing on the UK's own plans to reclaim 2.3 billion worth of debt uh, owed to the UK and UK citizens by these collapsed Icelandic banks. And then further, by magic coincidence, two, after, two hours after he receives the briefing from the Treasury under, I think, Alistair Darling at the time, Prince Andrew forwards this briefing, which, of course, is very helpful, uh, to Jonathan Rowland. This mm-hmm. is according to the Daily Mail. Yeah, pr- you know, Prince Andrew needs to know the situation with the banks because, you know, if he doesn't know the situation with what's going on with the banks, then, like, I mean, I don't need to tell you what would happen if his if his hand wasn't firmly on the tiller uh, <laughs> guiding us through this, uh, the, the financial crash. It could have been much worse if Prince Andrew hadn't been kept informed so he could give his wise counsel and also perform the role we all know he performs. Of course, we don't even need to go into it. Of course. Uh, no, no. I mean, he's certainly present at the, the launch at the launch party of Bank Havland. Uh, uh-huh. Although a few days afterwards, the new chairman of the bank quits his job, walks out, and never explains. But according to the Daily Mail, there's a rumor that he discovers evidence of market abuse and says, "I want nothing to do with it." Again, that's unconfirmed. <laughs> yeah, I don't want anything to do with market abuse. This is from the guys at Bloomberg, who said, "If you are interested in dodgy money, the Rolands and Bank Havland." Uh, were quite interested in you, and there would be very little limits to go uh, uh, who they would do business with. I'll give you some of their business clients a little bit uh, later. But there is at least a great appearance that the bank Havland and the family Roland family isn't very opposed to dealing with people who would be could be described as dodgy, uh, among whom are the uh, president, wife, and daughters of the. President Aliyev of Azerbaijan, who's been in power for a very long time, an oddly long time even. There's photographic evidence with David Rowland flying in on uh, Andrew's private jet to meet with uh, Aliyev and his family. And the daughters of Aliyev eventually become his clients. Uh, So do a number of other people in his family and in the sort of Aliyev broader orbit, uh, who are apparently so problematic for a lot of other banks that they are placed in a special surveillance category by the U.S. banking networks, as well as several banks in Dubai. In Dubai, who said, no, we don't want anything to do with your money. Wait, Dubai, the place where most of the crime happens. <laughs> yes. The, 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 basically, like the place where if you're going to do money, where they basically have an office of money laundering. Uh, yes. The, yeah, even they yeah. were like, "Oh, this is a bit much." Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, come on, come on. Can you can you do a, a little bit more subtlety? Come on. <laughs> but don't worry. This is not the last thing we will hear about uh, small principalities in the Arabian Gulf because they will also be coming back later in the story. <laughs> uh, another former client is uh, Kola Aluko, a Nigerian oil magnate, uh, who by the time he became a client of Bank Havland was already under investigation for one of the greatest uh, corruption scan- oil corruption scandals in Africa for bribing the then-sitting Nigerian oil minister. He becomes a client in 2015, according to Bloomberg, and then quite quickly gets a $25 million US dollar loan uh, to buy a $15 million penthouse in Manhattan. 
Bloomberg alleges that this is part of a giant hole of hundreds of millions of dollars of corrupt profits from the oil fraud. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't end very well because while the ink on the loan is still drying, the former minister is arrested by the authorities for fraud and uh, international warrants are uh, issued for uh, Kola Aluko, the Bank Havland client, and he then unsurprisingly defaults on the loans um, when the US and Nigerian authorities start trying to arrest this guy. In, so that's another client, another series of clients where I'm not sure whether or not they got them. But what is known, uh, according to Bloomberg, is that in 2011, uh, David Rowland and his son uh, also take a trip to North Korea to pitch their services there. Fucking. Uh-huh. <sighs> okay, I, okay, well, start making me like him. <laughs> Uh, There is at least also an exploration where I can't say whether or not any deals have been signed uh, with Zimbabwe under Robert Mugabe in 2011, um, (laughs) where he acts as an intermediary between the Qatari royal family. Oh, fucking. This is. You're just. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> listing off person after person of like the worst people you can think of <laughs> well i mean speaking of people you really want to be in bed with uh in 2010 david david cameron appoints uh david Rowland as the tory party treasurer it's unclear if this uh, is by text message uh, but we hope it is <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure. I mean, what is known is that um, David Rowland pays £20,000 for a portrait of David Cameron at a Tory party fundraising auction. So that- Oh, come on! <laughs> yeah, look, I mean... Uh, it's this is this is that that is what beautiful art is. It's like the, the picture of Tony <laughs> Soprano beside uh, Piomai. You know, it's, uh, it's and, 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 he, and like uh, Matt Han, to, uh, David Cameron tried to burn it, and Matt Hancock still hangs it in his like sad single man house. <laughs> you you can't you can't you can't be too mad at a man who has his name uh, em, 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 emblemized on his uh, on his chair. <laughs> so in, in so in 2010, uh, David Rowland comes home. He repatriates his money. He becomes a, a full UK citizen again. Um, this is by the time. By this time, he's worth about seven hundred and thirty million pounds, and returns from tax exile and immediately pumps two point seven million quid into the Tory war chest for the two thousand ten David Cameron election. Just for reference, the average bu- budget for the Tory party at that time is somewhere between twelve and fifteen million pounds a year. So he, uh, with one giving, gives twenty to twenty five percent of the total Tory party budget just off the bat. And then, weirdly enough, he's behind uh, Tory party treasurer. Because he's got all the money. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. 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 I mean, He's really good not? at making the money. Look, I mean, we uh, guess we just have to thank the uh, workers of uh, Bunker Hill Mine and Smelter uh, for the coalition government. You know? <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you for that efficient redistribution of resources, pensioners <laughs> and mm-hmm. dying children. Um, oh, so how, how, so- else, how else would we have arrived at the fantastic policy choice of the fucking bedroom tax? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, David Rowland can manage your money and that of other people very responsibly, and you can't, so give up your bedroom, you fuck. Anyway, so this, unfortunately, he doesn't last very long. He only lasts a couple of oh. months as Tory party treasurer. Uh, still gives the oh, Tories... Is that until you run out of money, or is it something uh, more... <laughs> no, more hilariously, but allegedly, alleged by the Daily Mail and, and a couple of other papers, including The Guardian, uh, he, because he becomes the new treasurer, makes a big enemy of previous... 
Tory party treasurer and billionaire Lord Ashcroft, uh, another tax exile, and also the former party treasurer. <laughs> and consequently, because those two apparently and allegedly don't get along, uh, there's a blizzard of negative coverage about David Rowland, specifically in the Daily Mail, uh, some of which was the background for doing this episode. So thank you very much by way of allegedly Lord Ashcroft. Um, Words you will never hear on this podcast again. <laughs> that's, that's why we have to lock this shit behind the paywall. Yeah. Lord, Lord Ashcroft, you are the podcasting as praxis freak of the week. Uh, yeah, move in. over, Willie Rennie. <laughs> uh, co- come and come and collect your uh, your your uh, uh, edible arrangement uh, from the PIP Acres in uh, outside of Preston. <laughs> Well, if you want something more upmarket, you can head over to Switzerland and uh, Rob will sort you out. Mm. But, <laughs> but this is this is 2010, I have to say, is a very busy year for David Brolin because this is also the year wherein he and some mates organize a series of, what I won't say payoffs, but are debt settlements uh, for Fergie, uh, Sarah <laughs> Ferguson, the previous wife of Prince Andrew who is in somewhat of financial trouble because she felt that Weight Watchers US was not giving her her due. So she cancels her sponsorship <laughs> contract worth 1.5, 1.25 million US dollar. Uh-huh. That's a, gr- so that's a first- great, that's a really, really great negotiating tactic. <laughs> yeah, isn't, isn't it just? Yeah. Where are um, you going to find another Fergie? <laughs> you'll, um, you'll never get people watching their weight without me. Uh, so after cancelling her contract with Weight Watchers US Fergie has a lot of trouble servicing her considerable I've got to say that's a a very Jamie move (laughs) Uh, she has considerable uh, trouble clearing up uh, or at least paying the interest on her 5 million pounds worth of existing uh, debt and asks Prince Andrew her former husband to step in and help out Um, they Andrew and his friends do very generously. Uh, David Rowland pays off about forty thousand pounds worth of Fergie's debts. Uh, four months later, by total coincidence, he gets a private invitation to join Prince Andrew at Balmoral. He meets the Queens and has lunch with Prince Charles. This is according to the Daily Mail. So don't worry, it's perfectly normal. Another perfectly normal guy who is also around at this time and also pays off uh, fifteen thousand pounds worth of Fergie's debt is another guy you may have heard of. Uh, who is uh, Prince Andrew's other other friend, Jeffrey Epstein? Ah. <laughs> that guy just keeps uh. just keeps popping up all over the place, huh? Yeah, yeah. He, he gets around, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, look, if if you're a friend to billionaires, you're a friend to billionaires, and you know your your good deed should be noted, and I think that's important to note for for everybody. Don't make us say thank you, Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> 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 You do not, under Andrew's circumstance, go to hand it to, etc., etc. <laughs> you know what he is? He, uh, Jeffrey Epstein is a bit like one of those radiation cats. Like, is <laughs> uh, but just like for the worst people in the world. <laughs> but all of this, so including the bailout of, oh. of Fergie and, and the whole lifestyle, leads to an interesting question, which is sort of the next part that I want to talk about, is... Prince Andrew's official stated income is a pension of 20,000 quid a year from the Royal Navy and uh, from the Queen's Privy Purse gets £249,000 to maintain his private office and hire a secretary, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. But his lifestyle seems to be 
somewhat in excess of 270 pounds a year, um, including a 7.5 million quid refurbishment of his home in Windsor Park, a 13 million quid ski chalet in Verbier, which mm-hmm. is good skiing, as I think Riley knows. Yep, um, it's, it's pretty good, yeah. but uh, I... It's not the I, best. No, no. Uh, I think he really missed a trick by not uh, not choosing clusters, in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, there we go. That's all right. It's all right. I mean, I think the powder is better in Engelberg, but that's neither here nor there. That's right. Um, <laughs> anyway, and he also maintains a small fleet of cars, including uh, Bentley and some other things. Love to have a fleet of cars when I'm yeah. not technically a business. <laughs> so we can only speculate on how Andrew gets the money to do all these things. We don't know. Uh, but according to Prince Andrew's friends, and by friends, you just always should just read it's him, but off the record. Uh, these are all just presents from his mum, from Elizabeth. Uh, oh, and, th- and thus from us, the taxpayer. Yeah. Uh, yes. Well, I hope, you en- I hope you enjoy your fucking jet, you piece of shit. I hope you choke <laughs> on it. <laughs> But, but, I mean, according to Bloomberg, uh, Prince Andrew also has a private credit card in the name of Andrew Inverness with Bank Havland and therefore with uh, David Rowland and was uh, completely at liberty to use at any time David Rowland's private jet. That's right. It is about this time that we know that David, that Prince Andrew becomes an ambassador, quote unquote, to provide introductions for David Rowland to many of his very wealthy friends and royal families, the others that he knows around the world. I should stay very strongly up at the start of this segment. According to a spokesperson, none of the current or former clients of Bank Havland have been introduced or referred to by Prince Andrew. Uh, Bank Havland has never employed Prince Andrew, and Prince Andrew was never a paid advisor or ambassador for the bank. Ah, I- which is, in my opinion, tantamount to an admission that all of that is the absolute opposite of the truth. Or it's one of these things where it's sort of so specific, right? Mm. Where it's yes. like, ah, no, no, he was never a paid advisor. And it's like, okay, well, wait, what was he then? Uh, because he clearly, yeah, it's like you, you see this all the time again in like... um. It, when you're looking at sort of uh, companies that are sort of doing PR management, they'll do a, a big list of specific things that didn't happen and then sort of hope that that takes care of all of it. So you have, you'd have to basically it's it's something that can it's a tactic that can be, um, let's say, uh, circumvented with uh, the classic technique of the follow up question. <laughs> uh, yeah, unfortunately, not, not too many of those uh, get asked. So, as I said before, in 2005, he unveils the big statue of David Rowland. In 2008, he's present at Bank Haviland to open the private wealth management bank. Um, and in 2012, he's there again when Bank Haviland... I'm so excited for like 2100 or whatever when like, there's a <laughs> statue debate about like, you know, if we should take the statue of David Rowland down. <laughs> uh, somehow Toby Young is still around, like, uh, you know, they sworn to defend the statue of David Rowland. I mean, arguably, the crimes that this man may or may not have committed, allegedly or otherwise, aren't, probably aren't as bad as all of the slavers that we've still got uh, hanging around, you know? So on that basis, maybe <laughs> maybe Toby Young's got a well, single I leg mean, to stand well, on. Yeah, yeah. So we're going we're gonna to keep his statue. 
Well, I mean, we'll meet some people later on who are also allegedly involved, or at least whose countries have been remarkably known for modern-day slavery. So, you know, we, there's, there's still chances. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I had so, a Disney corporation. Uh, <laughs> so, Andrew is on hand again when Bank Haviland buys out a small branch, a small bank in Monaco, and opens its branch office in Monaco, which is something that everybody does when you just want to be completely normal. Mm-hmm. Um, it is also at this same time, in the same time period, that Andrew is also an official, so publicly sponsored trade ambassador for the United Kingdom, and he is there. Essentially, he goes on flights for the Foreign Office, shakes hand with people like Aliyev, and then tries to get UK business set up with the deal. However, there's an odd number of times when um, David Rowland actually comes with him on the flights. Mm-hmm. And I'll, you know, but that's just by sheer coincidence. You know, who, who don't you meet? Mm, I wonder. I wonder who else is on those flights. Uh, he, on the <laughs> other hand, Prince Andrew is quite. <laughs> it's quite an odd guy to bring with you. It, I mean, he's just quite an odd guy. Full stop. Really. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, if you, if you want to sell, you know, I don't know, like Rolls Royce jet engines or whatever, I need the I need like the dumbest guy of the most inbred family to come and oversee the transaction. <laughs> we're gonna we're we're gonna need like a guy just with a a guy with a face like a Fiat Punto to just just sit and stare <laughs> at me with his mouth fully open while I you know get my kickback for buying you know however many uh Rolls Royce jet engines yeah and then and then I'm getting red yeah absolutely this is this is what it's gonna I need I want to meet the the dumbest man and and the and the most inbred family in the country or I will not sign this you know 400 million dollar contract you can't you just can't trust a man who sweats and that's why you get Prince Andrew in yeah, well, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wonderfully, um, in 2010, the former deputy head of mission in Bahrain, Simon Wilson, who uh, hosted the Prince once upon a time, revealed that revealed that he was that Prince Andrew was known throughout the Gulf embassies as HBH, uh, standing for His Buffoon Highness. Imagine getting dunked on by a fucking. Uh, quote unquote because of his childish obsession with doing the exact opposite of what had been agreed beforehand Mm. Jamie are you listening Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, so but he is very good at opening doors that David Rowland then by magic coincidence does tend to step through he's like Um, one of the best at opening like you should see like he's not good at uh, talking thinking negotiating uh, really any kind of sort of A-B reasoning, but so long as it has one of the sort of long handles that you can grab with your whole hand and isn't like a knob, he will open any door. It's very impressive, yeah. and we're, pr- <laughs> we're all proud of him. Uh, yeah, I mean, and that's what you want uh, for a trade ambassador for the United Kingdom of Great Britain yeah, and Northern you, Ireland. You that's... want a guy whose main thing is that he can really, if you give him a little while, he can figure out most doors. Well, that is yeah. <laughs> that is literally one of the things that the British press has gone crazy over before was the way that Meghan Markle grabbed hold of a door handle on a car. So oh yeah, it would be a different Giles Corrin said you, you might as well have slammed it on my balls. <laughs> I remember that. I, I remember that so clearly. I remember it like oh. I remember it like it happened yesterday, and I'll be thinking about that forever. He's like, ah, you're gonna go open, you're gonna open your own car door. Well, I guess you might as well slam it on my balls then, mate. Oh, well, if, if, if you insist, dude. <laughs> so the Daily Mail later on, so the Daily Mail later on confirms that the prince uh, does allow the Rolands not only to join him on 
several of these straight meet mission meetings, but it also allows them to shoehorn meetings into his official tours. So on the cover of Prince Andrew's official tours, David Rowland also gets sit downs with people that he meets. Among the people that he meets on these official tours are Saif Gaddafi, son of. He also meets Daddy, uh, Colonel Gaddafi, uh, and brings along da uh, David Rowland. This is in 2011, according to the, the Daily Mail. Uh, he also meets the son-in-law of f then former Tunisian president Zineben Ali, who fell during the Arab Spring. Another guy he meets is the son-in-law of the president in Kazakhstan, who later, for totally unrelated reasons, buys Prince Andrew's former home, Sunning Hill Park, for more than £3 million over the asking price in That's 2007. Nice. What a that fucking blunt rotation that is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Daily Mail has, a, has a, and Bloomberg have an extremely interesting uh, set of stories about a particular 2010 trade mission to China, where instead of David Rowland, his son Jonathan Rowland is in Prince Andrew's entourage and is not only just invited. I would love to watch things. a version of Entourage about Prince Andrew. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> turn, turn the fucking um, royal palace into fucking Big Brother. Yeah. We gotta get Andrew on the plane, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's okay. Perfect. Done. Pitch it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, according to the Daily Mail, not only is like Jonathan Rowland accompanying Prince Andrew, but uh, his secretary and the secretary of the the Rowlands in Bank Haviland actually make sure that extra meetings that are requested by the Rowlands are inserted into the schedule with Chinese billionaires and people that, you know, otherwise they wouldn't get an introduction with. Uh, the same set of emails revealed that uh, Bank Havland also has been building long-standing relationships with Abu Dhabi and Middle Eastern royal families in general, uh, with whom Prince Andrew also meets, about which much more later. And he, uh, David Rowland, or Jonathan Rowland, also gets a meeting with the King of Bahrain uh, and the Saudi Investment Authority, Sejia, uh, you know, again, they are just there, just hanging out. It's cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, in, in total, over his lifetime of missions, Prince Andrew performed 616 trade engagements. And uh, he was on, essential on every one. Exactly. Yeah. He opened all those doors. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. they would just be staring at each other through a, yeah. through, through a window. That would just, that yeah, no, no good. Really. You know, it's, and, and, he, and he did it all himself. Uh, and we're proud of him. Yeah, ex exactly. We're, we're all proud of him. We, you know, he he gets a he gets a very special star in his uh, sticker book, and and that's what we're all here for. That's what the UK is real really all about. Prince Andrew needs to have a play date with Matt Hancock. I think they'd have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> they could like play Legos or whatever. Yeah, probably sell out the entire NHS to Mongolian finance interests or something at the same time. But, you know, swings and roundabouts. Mm. So, unfortunately, Prince Andrew's glorious career uh, as a trade ambassador comes to a crashing halt, into a formal halt, I should say, in 2011 after his friendship with Jeffrey Epstein is revealed. And uh, later on during and the... You're, very... And you're saying that after that friendship with Jeffrey Epstein is revealed, he's sort of out of British public life forever, right? It doesn't take like multiple other scandals for him to even kind of go away. <laughs> Well, Riley, take a big glass, a big sip of your glass of uh, non-San Pellegrino water because uh... it's a diet coke. <laughs> well, you can't drink too much like sparkling water at the same time. It's no good. So. Um, so, if you recall, maybe maybe you don't. Uh, during the famous interview in with Emily Maitlis of was it last year or two years ago, uh, when asked say. about his connections with Epstein, uh, Prince Andrew says that 
Epstein provided a very useful entry into the billionaire world. That is a very, very poor choice of words. Mm. I'm just glad that he decided to clarify what kind of very useful entry it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I would hate... I, this is just speculation on my part, but if you are this closely connected formally or informally with a private wealth managed bank with a history of doing business with some of the worst people in the world, then having someone like Epstein provide a very useful entry is something that, you know, maybe not only uh, Prince Andrew benefited Wait, from, also, possibly, who could say, also David Rowland back Avaland. Also, just, uh, this is slightly sort of uh, tangential, but like, what's the point of having a royal family if they also need help to get connections to like the global money mm. elite? What's the yeah. point? <laughs> <laughs> what do you why do, why what the, the, the well, whole the point tourism, was like money yeah. riley <laughs> the, the, the tourism <laughs> no one goes to the palace of versailles no one ever <laughs> well yeah. speaking of tourism uh unfortunately by the time this uh uk trade ambassadorships comes to an end for prince andrew uh jonathan Rowland was already planning either with or without Prince Andrew, a new business trip to Cameroon and Equatorial New Guinea to find new clients, another country where, you know, everything's totally cool and normal. Yeah, Equatorial Guinea, a, a country that, uh, if you recall, has been uh, previously visited by uh, another, um, you know, British idiot with a terrible uh, school nickname, uh, <laughs> uh, Mr. Mark Scratcher Thatcher. <laughs> another cool guy. Yeah. Well, he didn't technically visit, but close enough. He planned the visit, though. Yeah. <laughs> damn bird! <laughs> if only those damn geese hadn't gotten in the way. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, so unfortunately, the Daily Mail un get un later uncovers emails between David, David Rowland, Jonathan Rowland, and Prince Andrew, where uh, Jonathan Rowland uh, suggests that the relationship could continue, quote-unquote, under the radar, to which Prince Andrew responds, I like your thinking. So, you know, they're still friends. Don't worry oh, about it. Oh, what a fucking danger. Mm -hmm. my, my favorite bit is in this same email exchange is that uh, Jonathan Rowland also apparently seriously suggests that as an alternative, Prince Andrew should lobby that the post of UK trade envoy is put up to a public democratic vote and that he was certain that Prince Andrew would win that ballot. Yeah, because charisma, <laughs> a charisma powerhouse, Prince Andrew. <laughs> yeah. uh, a man experienced on the campaign trail. So it's just it's just relaxed. Like Andrew, in the same series of email exchanges later, uh, suggests that he could continue to act as an intermediary for Bank Roland, for Bank Havland and the Rolands, without much accountability. So you know, don't worry about it. It's all cool and good because who needs accountability? Certainly not from the princes of the realm. I mean, they're cool and they're nice. Yeah, and it, well, it's either it's that they're they're completely essential, and also they have no actual power or authority. Uh, but no, we, whatever, whatsoever. all of that not, uh, all of the stuff that they do that they're not doing is totally essential, but they're not doing any of it and it's nothing. Uh, no, no, yeah. I mean, and, and that's also why the Queen's, Queen's consent procedure that we talked about, I think last week or two weeks ago is used to make sure that minorities don't get too big a role in the royal household. You know, mm -hmm. it's just, it's cool and normal and good. Um, but don't worry, this is not, this whole series of events is not the end of the relationship between David Rowland and Prince Andrew. Oh, thank God um, for that. In, 
Yeah, in, in 2018, he is invited not just to his daughter Eugenie's wedding, but he is in the fourth row from the back, in a, has a front row seat, and is seated next to Kate Moss. He's four or five seats behind the royal couple. So the relationship, friendship, whatever it is, still fortunately ongoing. Um, it is also later on, I can't work out the year on this, but David... David John and Jonathan Rowland, as well as Prince Andrew, begin a business, a formal business, co-owned in the and established in the British Virgin Islands, which is, you know, that's another cool place where normal people. I assume business. it's just like a shop, right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a little tourist shop. Uh, yeah, they sell uh, seashells with with funny pictures on them. <laughs> Andy Sultan ends. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, no, not really. Uh, what they want to do is uh, they start Inverness Asset Management. By the way, and by total coincidence, one of Prince Andrew's many titles is the Earl of Inverness, and he also had a credit card with Bank Havland in the name of Andrew Inverness. But this is all coincidence, of course. But he and uh, the Rolands start a private offshore investment fund, pretty much only open to friends of and Prince Andrew and other ultra high net worth individuals. And they promise high, t- high returns that are also tax free. It's very chill and relaxed. This again, according to the Daily Mail. And the business pros- prospectus actually writes down the very long and successful relationship between David Rowland and His Royal Highness Prince Andrew. The minimum buy-in for this little vehicle is 1 million US dollar, and documents seen by Bloomberg claim that it managed at least hundreds of thousands of pounds, but it's incredibly difficult to know what it held and what it did and how much profit it made, because the British Virgin Island is a total black hole. Oh, by the way, it doesn't have to be. Uh, as a British overseas territory, uh, the British government has it in its gift to make that not the case. Uh, but yeah. it is useful. Uh, but you know, and as long, basically, like as long as that is as that's happening, right? Like anything, any kind of like you know, uh, uh, taxation policy, any like move to try to make the the, the Tories or like columnists that are friendly to them to like make the party look more like it's concerned with the interests of everyday people and we're trying to like fight you know that extra we're doing conservatively fighting you know wealth extraction or whatever with place and localism the the the, the every day that they don't like you know change the status of the british overseas territories with regards to like their um uh, financial secrecy laws which they can do uh it's just a lie basically they, they, yeah. they, they, you can't be selling counterfeit jeans from the house you can do it from the garage adjoined to the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, this is, I mean, the, 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 the overseas territories of finance, I mean, it's, it's just a fucking, it's not a scam, but it's certainly a place where money just disappears. I allegedly aided and abetted by entities like Bank Haviland uh, and its many subsidiaries in Monaco and other places. Uh, this particular uh, Inverness investment uh, vehicle is wound up in 2019. But like I said, because of the secrecy laws, I, I, I nobody can work out how much it held, what it held, who the clients were, whether or not anything happened, whether or not it's just a bust. The only thing that we do know is that the split in ownership was 60% to the Rolands and 40% personally to Prince Andrew. To Prince Andrew, this is also you know he has a big chalet to, to look after with 13, 13, billion, 13 million pounds in Verbier. So you know we we don't know. We can only infer certain connections and goings on, but we can't say for sure that there is an A and B relationship. Certainly not for legal reasons. Um, <laughs> this is by the way, and now we get to a bit that doesn't involve Prince Andrew, but is fucking hilarious. Um, and I thought O'Reilly had to put it in because I thought you might get a kick out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, the 
in 2017, Bank Havilland becomes embroiled in a investments fund designed to uh, destroy the Qatari Rial and um, <laughs> essentially crater its economy. This is according to Bloomberg and The Intercept. Uh, this is, if you remember, this is during the same blockade of the country organized by Saudi Arabia and a couple of other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, over, I can't remember what the what why it started originally. Um, and the go between for this whole story between Bank Havilland and uh, the the uh, the Crown Prince of Abu Dhabi, Mohammed bin Syed. The go between is a former MI6 agent called Will Tricks, which is an amazing name for an <laughs> MI6 agent. <laughs> name check on this guy, fucking hell. <laughs> That's why they tapped him on the shoulder. They were like, ah, nominative, nominative determinism is at it again. <laughs> Uh, the Crown Prince of Abu Dhabi, Bin Zayed, is often and in internal company emails seen by Bloomberg and the Intercept referred to as the boss inside Bank Haviland. The idea, as put forward in a PowerPoint seen by the Intercept, was a coordinated central bank attack um, by Abu Dhabi and other countries to deplete the, the Qatari government's foreign exchange reserves and thereby crater the currency and destroy the mm. uh, Qatari economy as it stands. Mm-hmm. Uh, through a series, various series of various shenanigans, the fund uh, proposed by Bank Havilland in this PowerPoint would house uh, the majority of state debts, Qatari state debt owned by owned by Abu Dhabi, and would then use a series of bond and credit derivative manipulations to create a non-existent uh, market impression of a panic sale of the Qatari currency that would be big enough for the media to notice. Probably once it hits Bloomberg and other places, other people would sell and cause sort of a, a, a chain reaction. Uh, one of the title pieces of the PowerPoint created by Bank Havland was Control the Yield Curve, Decide the Future. Yeah, I love Dune. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so, yeah, would, no, uh, would, Pri- would Prince Andrew be one of the, like, the, na- the big worm navigator things? I feel like he would be. <laughs> No, I think Prince Andrew is like a lesser Harkonnen. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yes, hundred <laughs> um, percent. Yeah. Also, this is like the the whole sort of like um, abortive war on uh, sort of all all, all but uh, in reality war on uh, on Qatar uh, was a very interesting little bit of of sort of recent history, just because. They um as they because the Qatar's like history in in, in the region has always been like uh, a the go between for everyone and everyone else, and so anytime they get a little bit too close to Iran because they have to be kind of close with everyone, uh, <laughs> Saudis just try and fuck with them. The uh, Saudis and, just roll up a newspaper and hit them on the snout. Yeah, and it is um, I I mean like God, I mean I I, I it's it's hard to feel a lot of sympathy with Qatar though. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, you know, no, this is but... this is very much a, a sort of a, a case of uh, you know the like the two the two monkeys knife fighting and just me enjoying. <laughs> yeah. <it. laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, so all of this is sort of with that PR drive, and all of it is designed to create the impre- first the impression of a run on the Qatari Real, and then an actual one which would severely damage the economy. But the side effect, which I thought was amazing, and maybe like the real thing that was supposed to happen, was if you remember, uh, Qatar is still slated to hold the uh, Football World Cup. 
Um, and the ideal would be that if, if the Qatari Real plummets too much, it would make uh, constructing the new stadiums and hiring like upper management very difficult and thereby forcing Qatar to share the World Cup and its PR bounties with Saudi Arabia and other Gulf states. So maybe the actual thought was to maybe. steal the World Cup. Yeah, maybe Qatar would then have to enslave people that work in fucking FIFA or some shit rather than just the poor people that are doing all the actual construction. Oh no, not Jeep's Vander Crimes. <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got to say though, as like someone who doesn't particularly care much about football, the one thing that has entertained me immensely in recent history was uh, when all those guys got arrested out of that fucking hotel in Switzerland. That was highly entertaining. Yes, the the the, the Bauer Olac Hotel is around the corner from me here in Zurich. It's a really nice hotel actually. They do quite a good cup of coffee. <laughs> you fucking go up. Yeah, I'm sure it was a lovely hotel. It's actually quite good. I don't care much for their plating style, but the food yeah. is, is pretty good. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you're going to be arrested in a hotel, yeah, get get a get on the get on the shore of the Zurich. Eh? It's very nice there. The water quality is good, actually. I went swimming there yesterday. Anyway, but, but that is neither here nor there. Uh, I, I should say, by the way, that there are genuine doubts when the Intercept and Bloomberg showed this PowerPoint to people who really know finance, you know, they probably showed it to Riley, uh, whether or not this this scheme could actually work in practice. It's oh, th- th- no, no scheme really ever actually works in practice. It's like, especially one sort of proposed in a PowerPoint. Like, usually what this is, <laughs> it, it's, it's like, like a lot of the time, right, when... Uh, when, like, like this reminds me almost a little bit of like remember Cambridge Analytica, uh, yeah. and there was this whole thing. Ooh, they're doing dark arts of data science or whatever. Uh, but like mostly they can't do much, right? You know, it's like you know, uh, ooh, they did target. We described targeted advertising, but we you know shone a flashlight under our chin when we do it. It's kind of the same. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing here, right? Where they're trying to say, well, we we know the financial dark arts. And it's like, no, the real marks here aren't the Qatari royals. It's whoever's watching the presentation. They're basically, I don't know, like like this international supervillain version of a timeshare scam. Like, this is just not, <laughs> like, I don't, like, maybe you could, but, like, again, what are you going to do? Like, um... Like, like pay like some Macedonian teenagers to, to be like ah, the Qatari Real sucks shit. Like it's it's, it's it is it is much yeah, especially just... a, a a bank that's like I don't know like bank bank Havilland is you know it's like it's got some money but like if you're trying to t- like declare war on a currency you need to be like a Goldman Sachs you can't be like a you know um. A, yeah, a European crimes bank, yeah, yeah, you can't. Yeah. It just doesn't work. Uh, I mean, uh, so this is all um, in the context of this broader assault on Qatar. It's not known whether or not this plan would actually was actually put into effect. But according to Bloomberg, within weeks of the plan being sent to Will Tricks, the former MI6 agent and my favorite name, the uh, Qatari Real under pressure. I mean, I've, got, I've just got to say, like he, he with a name like that, he had two career paths. One was being a like a pro skateboarder and the other one was this <laughs> you're forgetting street magician <laughs> yeah like a contact juggler i think was the was the thing they could have become. <laughs> um anyway so the yield uh, after this plan is sent but this is also during the actual blockade of qatar the real does go into free fall hits a record low uh the bond 
does actually yield. So the somebody is controlling the yield curve, dot, dot, dot. Um, and the credit derivatives also go through the roof. Um, and the currency doesn't really recover until about a month after these PowerPoints are leaked to the intercept. So I don't know, but, and I'm also, as you say, Riley, like supervillain schemes on PowerPoints don't work, but whether or not any of this was put into effect uh, is, is currently. It's, well, I mean, if, if you want to, I think if you want to think of like, like basically a lot of the way that a lot of the ways that currencies get go up and down in value is are people in, are people buying the products uh, that are made by the place or are they engaging <laughs> in commerce in the place or are they purchasing debt instruments issued by the place because you need to get you need basically you need to go and get the money that the thing is denominated in and then buy the thing you want to buy so that's why for example you know Canada's uh, dollar is so sort of so closely tracks like that like, uh, commodity prices because a lot of those commodities are denominated in Canadian dollars so you have to go buy Canadian dollars if you want to buy those commodities and so you want people buying them the, buying the currency pushes it up so if but in if Saudi Arabia if your only land border is with Saudi Arabia and you're basically a you know small beach country um, and your main thing is uh, money coming into and out like the main service you sell is money coming into and out of you and you know and and, and, and commodities um, then just the mere fact of being blockaded is going to cause your currency yeah. to get incredibly <laughs> fucked up because yes. those transactions that are causing people to buy your currency are uh, not happening and people who hold your currency for to do a lot of those transactions are probably going to change it for another currency and go elsewhere right like so this is there's I, I don't understand like what on earth like a couple of press releases could have done you know on top of that quite like large set of material effects yeah no no me neither i mean that that I, I definitely don't want to say that A, this plan was put into effect and B, even if it were that, you know, Bank Havland and its mates in Abu Dhabi could control the yield curve and therefore the future. I'm not saying that. I'm just, you know, that the fact that these, that this, this segment of the British population and certainly of the establishment, this is, you know, what they seem to do with their time and with their with their money, you know, and with yep. their attention. It's just they're just doing schemes. And I know that's like the, one of the themes of Trash Future season three or four, whichever mm -hmm. one you're on now. But like, <laughs> is this just we're just selling schemes to each other? That's yeah. that's where what we're doing. Oh yeah, it's it scams all the way down. I don't want to go on forever. I just want to give you some sort of end credit notes. Like, where are they now? Mm -hmm. <laughs> For one, Prince Andrew, I think last year uh, said that he was going to go into another different business arrangement with a former investment banker from Coots, the private bank to the Queen. It's unfortunate he's not going into fucking exile. Uh, no, unfortunately, the guy that he was going to do business with before the whole thing was cancelled was also sacked by Coots for sexual harassment, thus continuing a pattern of him being friends with people who have some difficulty keeping their hands to themselves. Um, in 2018, uh, the I mean, Luxembourg I mean, to be fair, Jeffrey Epstein being... Even before he died, a convicted child trafficker, uh, you know, <laughs> it just having to dance around how fucking vile some of these people are because they've not had the temerity to die yet. Uh, it does yeah. irk me something, <laughs> but, you know, uh, literally friends with convicted pedophile Jeffrey mm -hmm. Epstein. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in too good of a friend, if you recall. Too honorable. Yeah, too honorable. 
in 2018, uh, Bank Haviland is fined for the low, low price of 4 million euros for non-compliant with Luxembourg laws on money laundering and terrorism financing and agrees to halt its international expansion plans. Now, a 4 million euro fine on a asset footprint of a couple billion is really nothing much, but you know, that's Luxembourg for you. Son Jonathan Rowland is no longer with Bank Haviland after uh, ha- suffering a stroke in 2013. Oh, no. Don't worry about it. Prince Andrew is back again, also in 2000, back in 2018, to open a new joint venture, uh, including Mubadala and Bank Havland, called the Anglo Gulf Trade Bank, which would be the world's first digital trade bank to mm-hmm. create an online finance platform to facilitate commerce between the UK, Middle East, and Asia. Woohoo! So, oh, great. Yeah, yeah, another example of the word Anglo. <laughs> letting you know that something's going to be bad before you've heard the rest of it. Uh, unfortunately, right after uh, the Anglo Gulf Trade Trade Bank and world's first digital platform uh, launched, it pretty much face planted because trade took a nosedive during Corona and is currently going uh, undergoing restructuring after the Emirati sovereign wealth fund Mubadala pulls out of the venture. So ah, you hate sad. to see that. <laughs> you hate to see that. You know it's a you know it's a fucking great winner when a fucking Middle Eastern sovereign wealth fund pulls out from it. That's great. <laughs> awesome. No, because they're very usually very choosy investors. They don't just like yeah, give a oh, bunch yeah, of their yeah. money to any old shit so long as their friends are involved. <laughs> M- Mubadala is a very curious one as well because like, it's like the stupid one <laughs> of, of the of, of the um of the uh, 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 Emirati of the sovereign wealth funds. Yeah, of the Emirati uh, uh, sovereign wealth funds. Uh, it is like it's the dumber. It's the one that's more like moonshot uh, tech companies or whatever. It's 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 the dumb. It's the, it's the silly one, uh, which I think is very very funny. They just want to have fun with it. <laughs> yeah. Ah, maybe maybe Matt Hancock can go to work for Mubadala after he's finally fucking released from service. Well, I, I mean, it's also the most like scandal plagued as well, because uh, they were um, they it was like um, they're sort of their ties to one MDB as well. Uh, like oh yeah, uh, yeah yeah. Mubadala, quite a quite a quite a quite a fund. Oh man, uh, I still want to do an episode on one MDB because that's such a fucking interesting story as well. Mm-hmm. That's more scams on top of more scams as well. Yeah, anyway, in, in other sort of where are they now, in 2019, don't worry about it, the Qatari royal family does open an embassy in Zimbabwe because of its deepening trade ties between those two great nations. Uh, Zimbabwe, of course, having undergone the democratic revolt and is now being ruled by a guy whose nickname is The Crocodile, if memory serves. I think he was the former intelligence chief to Robert Mugabe, but I'm not 100% on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the Qataris are also still suing Bank Havland, by the way, in London uh, for the for this alleged financial attack provided by Bank Havland. Fortunately, David Rowland is also still back. Um, the latest, their latest investment vehicle is a thing called Liwaton, Liwaton, uh, which is registered in Abu Dhabi. Always good, and they have just purchased the largest oil and natural gas products terminal in the Baltic region. And knowing that family's history with how they deal with former smelting plants and natural gas products and oil terminals, I'm excited to see what their pensioners and the le- unleaded children in the vicinity are about to undergo. Mm-hmm. I, I love to get a little bit of uh, structural adjustment, courtesy of uh, the some of the uh, world's biggest scumbags who just will not fuck off. No, 
um, will also never be prosecuted and uh, no, don't have anything done to them. And of course, uh, you alluded to it just now, uh, Riley, in the very famous Emily Maitlis interview, Andrew, uh, commenting on his relationship with with Jeffrey Epstein, said that he has a tendency to be too honorable, which I think is something that this story certainly bears out. And oh, just, I hate I just, to have I... the character flaws of a Klingon. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever heard someone say something just such a stinking pile of shit that you're just like, like what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fuck it. Um, and of course, at the end of the day, at least as far as this recording, as far as I know at the time of this recording, Andrew is still refusing to sit down and with the FBI and answer questions about his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein or indeed the famous photo with Virginia Roberts who is also still on a quest for justice. This is, you know, this is kind of the story I wanted to tell because I think it it says really quite a lot about the establishment of the United Kingdom and what it what it does, not what we think it does, but what it what the grubby practice, what the day-to-day is and what the you know, if well, I, think I mean if we ever- the, I mean straight straightforwardly the day-to-day is gross abuse of power and for what you know, self in, self interest. I think you'll find it was actually one of um, Chris Morris's greatest <laughs> works. I mean, just so a handful of absolute dickheads and nonces and alleged nonces can just make up, make off with more money and buy another fucking chalet in a sort of B level ski resort. And I think if you ever want to change the UK, and make it like a fairer. Wait, no, not no, no, no. We don't want change UK. no sorry you said it it's change uk you want now (laughs) this is true we are now a change uk podcast chuka come on the podcast yeah Um, oh my god that'd be so good chuka come on the podcast we know you're a subscriber i want to talk to joan ryan about the uh it's in your hands thing i think about that all (laughs) so i mean if if we want to make it like this country any way better or anything we just have to reckon with guys like david Rowland and his brood of large sons because they're in there like a fucking deer tick and they won't leave and nothing will change unless we actually make that happen unless we fucking throw these people out the door um apart from any you know many of the obvious and alleged crimes and abuses that that we've just talked about i think guys like this were actually at the monetary or or ideological core of the resistance to something like the Corbyn project, because any change in that direction could mean less influence for these people or or a reduced role in public life for the royal family and therefore less opportunities for dullards like Prince Andrew. And I think these are absolutely the core of people we need to root out from, from the nest they hold. Like there's no... There's no magic. There's no glory. There's nothing special about these people. It's just crimes. It's just crimes and schemes mm-hmm. and looting and making money by helping other people commit more alleged crimes. There's nothing there. You know, there's, there's, there's no great goal. There's no great purpose. There's no reconstructed empire. There's just dead factories and, and children with lead poisoning and crime banks in Luxembourg and the, the British Virgin Islands and scams in the Middle East. This is... This is the state of fucking modern Britain. This is what its purpose is. And all we've just done is give it a fucking fancy hat and a title. Yeah, but at least we yeah. have the hat. Yeah, the hat's yeah. nice. Exactly. What, sorry, what, do you exactly. want to get rid of the hat? That's all we have now. <laughs> <laughs> well, since we've got a little bit of time here, I think we'll maybe... I don't have comment or commentary planned for this episode. But, because I didn't think we'd have time, we actually get through that quicker than I thought we would. 
but Jamie found us an article. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to, to look at the other side and of Britain. <laughs> it's a nice little short article, and there's a comment at the end that I need to read. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is so great. <laughs> it's, it's from Lanks Live, so you get local paper website, fucking already gold. Families post-lockdown Pontins holiday, ruined by guests smoking drugs everywhere you turned. A holidaymaker who visited Pontins in Southport claims parents were pissed up and her stepchildren were left scaled. <laughs> Great. My son's crying. Thank you for danking up the place with all this, all this, all this skunk cannabis. A family claimed their holiday to Pontins was ruined by pissed up parents and people smoking drugs everywhere you turned. Michelle Waddington visited the company's holiday park in Southport for a three-night break with her partner Ian and his children from Friday, June 11th to Monday, June 14th. But she says her stepchildren were so scared by other holidaymakers' behaviour that they refused to leave her side. Yeah, look, Michelle, wait, they should from... ju- look when they reopen Bergheim, this will stop happening. Michelle from Staffordshire said that kids were running wild until the early hours of the morning and that there were guests openly using drugs. You're right. What is Burkine but, but a crash for like adult children? <laughs> what Look, is Burkine that... but, but the German Pontins is what I would, what I would ask. <laughs> In my opinion, yeah. Anyway, that, this, this very... <laughs> This very scary man named Rod Had came on and wouldn't stop. Uh, it sounded like he was beating me about the head, and people were enjoying this music for some reason. <laughs> they were shuffling back and forth in a way that I found most disconcerting. It would be amazing if you an eleven-year-old to Bergheim, though. Like I'm not going to lie. <laughs> get, a, get a pair of uh, headphones on him, or like uh, you know, ear protectors, and uh, you're good to go. Yeah, absolutely. Like, start your kids. Look, that's the thing, right? This is just kids being cool. And Britain, like, has a long history of hating its children and not wanting them to, like, be, you know, have the best, exist or have, like, you know, an unforgettable summer. Like, it sounds like what happened (laughs) is these people wandered into the middle of a snobs and slobs comedy uh, and uh, were sort of, you know, caught and, and were caught up in the sort of, um, fun and games portion of the script that comes towards the end of the, uh, the, the end of the second act. (laughs) <laughs> parents were fucked up no sorry fuck that's not what she said the parents were all listening to Lil White and then uh, drink driving on purpose <laughs> oh the asterisks are fucking me up here parents were pissed up, no masks were being worn bottles of spirits were being brought into the park and drank in the entertainment area on clear show well, at least they weren't having the bottles pelted at them. <laughs> the door guard didn't have a badge and refused to deal with the weed. He said it wasn't his job, so I asked, what is your job then? To which he replied, clearly a better job than you, because I don't have my holidays in Pontins. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, door, guard, door guard, come on the podcast. Yeah, door guard and Chukaramuna will do them in one episode. That'd be fucking amazing. Uh, this, no, I, I, I don't like the lefty, like, I don't really like um, uh, debate, debate YouTubers or whatever, but I would listen to that debate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was supposed to be a breakaway after both me and my partner both working through all the lockdown period and not having much family time. There were big groups of teenagers walking around with alcohol, which became quite intimidating for my stepchildren, and they refused to leave my side. 
I put a complaint in at reception before we left, but I haven't held anything back yet. I just want to say, I fucking love, I love this, like, quintessentially English thing of, like, being middle-aged and just intimidated by... Uh, they, yeah, youths, you know, hoodies, uh, where, you know, a big group of teenagers, which, to my mind, could mean anything from, like, three to, like, twenty... Um, should should have given them more hugs. I, shouldn't you? I just love that uh, she complains that, that during the lockdown she had to work and didn't get any family time, and then a complaint about the holidays that the kids wouldn't fuck off and leave her alone. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Bobby just wants to go lie in the piss trough in Pontins, yeah. and you know, it's hard to get. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Michelle said that she still thinks Southport is a lovely place. However, something must be done because the seaside town is being let down by Pontins. Uh, the Echo approached Pontins owner Britannia has been approached for comment. Uh, too, 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 uh, too many people having good time. Uh, ru- ruining my uh, fancy trip to the country club where I'm taking my boss for dinner to try to impress him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> have Pontins put on double secret probation. <laughs> well, that was that was the article, right? But wait until you get this comment. This comment is the most comment comment that I have ever fucking read. Yeah. Before you read that, by the way, I must say that like when English people say something must be done, that's just a bone chilling phrase. It really that, is. That that never means anything good. She definitely intends for everyone involved to be like machine gunned, like like in the Great Escape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like David Blunkett. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's the, um, something must be done, that's not good. Um, What is to be done, that's good. (laughs) Um, So the comment, right, the most comment comment I have ever fucking read in my life. The apotheosis of comment content. We we at this podcast are connoisseurs of comment and commentary, and this this is a fucking... This is oh, banger. It's a, it's a fucking banger yes. of a comment. <laughs> this has the most premium plating of any comment <laughs> I've ever seen. I'm listening. Pissed up and smoking weed everywhere. Sounds like any town centre across the land on a weekend night. It's also a fact these days that people who choose these budget holidays are predominantly from sectors of society that have not been educated in etiquette and just basic These manners. people have never, ever seen someone who went to public school. Absolutely. This is what you're describing is you were describing people who went to public school who just like to sort of get pissed up and and, and smoke weed wherever they go. This is just streetonians. Well, I mean, yes, to be fair, I don't think much of the plating at Pontins either. So, (laughs) what do you mean it only comes in a paper cup? Unfortunately, this sector of our society seems to be the ones who procreate more freely than the rest oh, of us. Oh, we've come of back course. around to the idiocracy thing. That's fine. Yes. That's fine. Of course, the irony is that whilst we try to live good lives, living within our means, we also, through our taxes and hard work, fund the pissed up weed smokers with their benefits. <laughs> the police are intervening less and less preferring to take the knee while watching all this go on in front of them. (laughs) Even more ironic, the acronym PC has two meanings these days, but they're virtually the same thing. Yo, this is spitting hot fire right there. That's like, that's the comment from like a, from a street philosopher. That's so cool. I love, I love seeing all of it distilled in one. Yeah. That's so good. For the little cherry on the top, 
there's no hope for decent people anymore. Yep, there's not. <laughs> Sorry. No, there never oh. was. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's like Brendan O'Neill took a day off and decided he would go in the comment section instead. <laughs> yeah, the thing cool. is, the guy, the guy's called the 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 name of this person who's commented is so handy, Andy, which to my mind means he's a small business tyrant. Probably, yeah, yeah. To my mind, that means he's a sex pest. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I leave I leave it to the listener to decide. <laughs> oh well. That's that. That's your replacement for comment or commentary on this wonderful bonus episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, um, I guess that's all that's left to say then. As uh, Riley, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. It's always uh, always a delight to come hang out with you. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the ignore, inaugural premium episode. Uh, yeah, I, I am I am honored to be primo guest numero uno. Well, you should you should have been guest numero uno in the first place, remember? But we never managed to get it sorted <laughs> out, so it's good to rectify that error Absolutely. now. Absolutely, um, but yeah, it was a, a very very interesting and infuriating to learn uh, about <laughs> all of these characters. That's uh, the exact combination we aim for. Ah, uh, mm, <laughs> perfect. A, a, a wonderful ba- a wonderful balance, a well plated podcast, in my yes. opinion. <laughs> Creative sauce okay, placement, then. everything, perfect. <laughs> uh, you're 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 gonna get your right. Michelin star in no time. <laughs> oh, love to hear it. Well, folks, we will see you again on the regular episode next week. Look forward to that. Well, in fact, no, actually, this week this because week, I've yeah. forgotten how time works. Yeah. We will see you in two days for the regular episode. What even is time? Mm-hmm. I ask. A mystery. <laughs> anyway, cheerio, folks. Bye-bye. Bye bye. And thanks for being our patreons and giving us money and stuff. Thank you.